Being suicidal doesn't mean you're holding a gun to your head. Sometimes it means smoking a cigarette in the hopes that you'll get cancer and die. Or jaywalking across the street without looking because you don't care if you get hit by a car. Or not sleeping and not eating in the hopes that exhaustion will kill you. Or even not washing your hands in the hopes that you'll get sick and die. Sometimes it means being cruel to the people you love or ignoring them because if they leave you, you'll have less, less of a purpose. Sometimes it means partying hard in the hopes that your liver will fail and you'll die. Or putting yourself in dangerous and potentially painful situations. So maybe it'll be the last straw. Being suicidal doesn't necessarily mean trying to die. A lot of times it means not putting any effort into living. This is a powerful post that I saw on Facebook. And it brings to my mind, it brought to my, my mind this week, the state of so many people in our world. The state of so many of us trying to go to church and trying to find hope and trying to find joy. Trying to find meaning and purpose. Many of us know these people. They may have a smile on their face. They may be cordial, good to work with and work for. But so many around us in our world today, so many of our coworkers, our friends, our family, would maybe fit into this category. Where they're just like, mm, whatever happens, happens. Or on the flip, flip side, so many people are so afraid of death because this is all they've got. You know, in our culture, we used to have this mentality that, you know, oh, they died, and so, but they're in a better place now. So there's hope that they're in a better place now. But for so many, it's an increasing week in, week out, day by day, the amount of people that are like, that just have the mindset of this is it. I don't believe in a God. I don't believe in a better place. I don't believe in anything on the other side of this. Why should I even, why should I think about life after this? Because this is all there is. And so I must protect this as much as possible because if this is all I get, then I'm going to live my life in fear of death because it is the great enemy. I'm going to live my life afraid to die. And I'm going to push through all sorts of government restrictions on everyone else because I'm so afraid of death. And we are so afraid of death as a culture. So we're going to shut things down. We're going to mandate this and mandate that because we are so afraid as a culture. And you see it everywhere you go. You feel it everywhere you go. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about death for a moment. Like darkness, it is just simply the, the, a word that is defining the absence of something. Like darkness is the absence of light. You can't overcome light with darkness because it's not a substance. It's the absence of something. So death is the absence of life. So death is just simply without life. And anything along these lines that leads to death is a taking away from life. Things like depression, 
anxiety, worry, the feelings of helplessness, just feeling checked out, and uninspired. What is it that inspires you? Think about that question for a moment. Do you feel inspired in your life? Why or why not? What inspires you? What gets you out of bed in the morning to put on one boot after the other? To get going, to put one foot in front of the other? What is it that inspires you in your life? When life feels uninspired and directionless, we can oftentimes get into this feeling of hopelessness. Not wanting to put our foot in front of the other in the morning. Not wanting to go out and be in public. Not wanting to engage in certain things. But here's the reality in Scripture. That we have a great hope. We have great hope. And we, in the church, in the gospel, are the ones who hold that hope. We are the ones who make that hope known and spread it and preach it and live it and enjoy it. And people see our joy because we have the hope. We are the only ones who have that hope that is actually hope. It's not found in self-help books. It's not found on the news. It's not found on social media. It's not found in friends and family. It's not found anywhere except the church. In scripture. In Christ. In Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 1-13 says, And his fullness fills you. Even though you were once like corpses, dead in your sins and offenses, through trespasses. We were all dead. We were all here. We were all there in the world. We were all in the place of devastation, hopelessness, anxiety, depression, malice, fear. We were like corpses, dead in our sins and trespasses, offenses. It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion customs and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority. We have a very real enemy. And it works and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. The corruption that was in us from, the, from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of the natural realm. We live by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated living as rebellious children, subject to God's wrath like everyone else. Here they come. What are my two favorite words in the Bible, anyone? But God. But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection 
and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn the salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So, no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given to each one of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. I I keep coming back. I love that word that he uses, poetry, to translate in this passage because that word poetry, that word workmanship is, is the crafting, craftsmanship of God, his creativity. Think about an artist creating something or a writer writing something. He uses poetry, poetry in motion either by creating with his hands, creating with his words, and so, as you know, it says, how did God create all things? Through the word of his mouth, speaking. And poetry is this beautiful art of words. And so God, we have become his poetry, his words of creativity to this world around us. A recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each one of us as we're joined to Jesus, you know, do one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny, and the good works we would do to fulfill it. And look at you now. Everything is new. Although you were once distant and far off from God, now you have been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united with Jesus. I love this dichotomy, this this. This, this imagery of from death to life. We were dead in our trespasses and offenses and, and sins and, and wrong thinking and wrong believing in our human nature, brokenness. But God interceded, came through, worked in our lives, transformed, our, transformed us, washed us clean with, with the blood of his cross, and saved us. And I love I loved this word, saved Saved. Salvation. And this new word, you know, kind of newer word for this that I love, been loving, is called salvaging. That God salvaged us. We were in the dump. We were like the, the elk carcass that I dropped off at the, at the dump over in Three Forks on the pile of other carcasses. Just goo. That's who we were. That's the state of everyone outside of Christ. But God took that dead and gooey carcass and formed it into a beautiful new life. He salvaged it and recreated it into something new. We've become new. And this word, the, the Greek word is sozo. And this word has this connotation of healing. Saving or healing, restoring, 
Rescuing from harm. This word rescue. Rescue. Bringing healness and healing and wholeness. And something that just struck me in, in the English language as we translate you know, salvation and, 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 uh, and salvaging is that it has the, the predecessor, that word salve. S-A-L-V-E. And if anyone knows what a salve is, it's this. It's a healing salve that brings healing, that brings moisture to dryness. But they have used this for years, for centuries, for millennia, to actually heal wounds. A salve, an anointing salve with oils. And the salve keeps it on the wound to bring healing. And so God's cross, Jesus' cross, his blood is the healing salve for our heart and our spirit. Not only bringing us from death to life, from wrong thinking and sin and trespasses, but he also is the healing salve that brings healing and restoration to our brokenness, to our hurts, to abuse, by those we loved and trusted. He brings a right thinking where there was a wrong thinking. But he also, his, his blood washes clean not just sin and guilt, but shame and hurt. When we spend time with our Heavenly Father, He shows us the restoration, the healing, the sozo that He desires for our hearts and minds. Because His desire is not just to make us alive, but to bring us and make us alive and make us whole. Body, mind, heart, spirit. Because when God looks at us, when it, when it talks about the soma, the, the person in the scriptures, you oftentimes it's translated as body, but really this word soma is body, like entirety, like body, mind, heart, and, heart and spirit. The wholeness, the whole totality of who we are as a person, wrapped up in one. He wants to bring wholeness to everything that we are. Because we are his manifestation in this world. And we are the beloved of God. Did you know that? I know it sounds trite. You may have heard it a million times. But hear these words over you. God loves you. You are enough. He is the Father that you want to make proud. And guess what? He's proud. You are who he wants you to be. As the cliche always says, he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call, right? God's purpose for you is being lived out as you engage with him. He's growing and transforming you as you discover who you are in Christ and his purposes for you. His, as the scripture said, his destiny for you. 
He wants to grow you into that. But you never look into the eyes of the Father and he's like, you done messed up, dude. You done messed up too much. Get your stuff together because you're not enough. If God has called you, he will bring you through it and he will grow and develop in you who he has called you to be and in order to accomplish what he has called you to do. And so, this morning, the call is simply this. Level up. It's only up from here. In a video game, there, there's this mentality of, of leveling up. Always going up and going up. We have the divine cheat code that you can never lose your power. You never respond all the way back to the beginning. You always respond like right where you started off. So, and God's call to our lives is always level up. Go to the next level. It's never a downhill trajectory. There's like an image on Facebook. I tried to find it, but there's like, you know, it's like God's, you know, God's plan for, you know, what you think God's plan is like, it's a, a slope upward like that. And then like the, in reality, it's like, you know, like these like valleys and you're down things and up things. and up. Get that image out of your mind. God is always saying level up. You make a mistake and you stumble, you're right there. It's still up. It's only up. There's never a moment where God says, oh, look, look how far you've fallen. You're backslid. Backslid too far. He's saying, no, I'm with you. I set you up. No more shame. It's already, it's gone. Learn. Learn from it. Stick and move. What's the next, what's the next move? And God will be with you to, to figure out the next move. Stick and move. Stick and move. Next move. Let's go. Let's level up. Level up. Going from death to life. Going from, from suffering to healing. It's only up in God's, with God. He's always there. What does this look like in the gospel. So this is a, a scripture passage that's talking about the resurrection. And I want to just read it for you. And you can even close your eyes and let these words wash over you to see and see clearly what God's death, burial, and resurrection accomplished for you. This is his desire. Here it is. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 31 through 58. My brothers and sisters, I continually face death. This is as sure as my boasting of you and our co-union together in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gives me confidence to share my experiences with you. Tell me, why did I fight wild beasts in Ephesus if my hope is in this life only? What was the point of all that? If the dead are not, do not rise, then well, let's just party all night for, tom for tomorrow we die. So stop fooling yourselves. Evil companions will corrupt good morals and character. Come back to your right senses and awaken to what is right. Change your mind and, and change your actions. For some have no knowledge of God's wonderful love. You should be ashamed that it, you, you make me write to you this way. I can almost hear someone saying, well, how can the dead come back to life? And what kind of body will they have when they are re resurrected? 
Uh, foolish man, don't you know that what you sow in the ground doesn't germinate unless it dies? And what you sow is not the body that will come into being, but the bare seed. It's hard to tell whether it's wheat or some other seed, but when it dies, God gives it a new form, a body to fulfill his purpose. And he sees to it that each seed gets a new body and its own and becomes the plant he had designed it to be. All flesh is not identical. Animals have one flesh and human beings another. Birds have their distinct flesh and fish another. In the same way, there are earthly bodies and heavenly bodies. There is a splendor of the celestial body and a different one for the earthly. There is the radiance of the sun and differing radiance from the moon and the stars. Even the stars differ in their shining. And that's how it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body is, quote unquote, sown in decay, but it will be raised in immortality. It is sown in humiliation, but will be raised in glorification. It is sown in weakness, but it will be raised in power. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. For it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam, Jesus, became the life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual didn't come first. The natural precedes the spiritual. The first man was from the dust of the earth. The second man is the Lord Yahweh from the realm of heaven. The first one, made from dust, has a race of people just like him who are also made from dust. The one from heaven has a race of heavenly people who are just like him. Once we carried the likeness of the man of dust, but now let us carry the likeness of the man of heaven. Now I tell you this, my brothers and sisters, flesh and blood are not able to inherit God's kingdom realm, and neither will that which is decaying be able to inherit what is incorruptible. Listen, I will tell you a divine mystery. Not all of us will die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. And when the last trumpet is sounded, the dead will come back to life. We will be indestructible and we will be transformed. For we will discard our mortal clothes and slip into a body that is imperishable. What is mortal now will be exchanged for immortality. And when that which is mortal puts on immortality, and what now decays is exchanged for what will never decay, then the scripture will be fulfilled that says, death is swallowed up in a triumphant victory. So, death, tell me, where's your victory? Tell me, death, where's your sting? It is sin that gives death its sting, and the law that gives sin its power. But we thank God for giving us the victory as conquerors through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. 
So now, beloved ones, stand firm, stable, and enduring. Live your lives with an unshakable confidence. We know that we prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord because we are assured that our union with the Lord makes our labor, what we do, productive with fruit that endures. That is healing. That is salvation. That is salvaging. That is restoration and healing. Transformation. From dead to healed to whole. Alive. Raised us up. He leveled us up and keeps leveling us up. He leveled us up with Christ. And right now, he has leveled us up with one another. He has given us this, the body, those who are in this room and those who are online, those who are not here with us and those who are. He wants to level us up like, he, like the author of Hebrews tells us, since we stand surrounded by all those who have gone before, an enormous cloud of witnesses, since we stand surrounded by those who have eternally leveled up, those who have gone before us in the faith. Now, this is actually an interesting, interesting thing to think about even today. Because today is, if you know, November 1st, which is known as All Saints Day. And All Saints Day is a day of the year that typically from tradition in the churches uh, was used as this way to commemorate and to remember those who have passed on, those who have passed away this, from this last year. And so we honor them as now having leveled up to the great cloud of witnesses of all the saints, of our brothers and sisters who have gone on before us. And this year, we lost Ernie Hoffman, if you know Ernie Hoffman. And this year we also lost Myrna, you know, Susan Horton's mom. Lost her a few, about a month ago or so. And so we honor them this morning by saying they are now leveled up to the great cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us. And last night, so we're, we're starting a, we've started a new tradition in my family where instead of going out trick-or-treating and stuff, we, we just simply have a family dinner and we zoom in my parents and grandparents and, and you know, and Amberlynn's parents. And, and we try to just simply sit around the table and tell stories of the legacy of our family, of those who have gone on before us. So last year, we talked about my pappy, my mom's dad, who passed away back in 09. And now my, my, grand, my, my son, Jackson, knows pappy for, you know, he flew in, in World War II. He, he flew the Sweatin' Duck was the name of the plane. And so now, as, as the years progress, we'll be able to share more stories, pass on the legacy of faith in our family. So we heard both of our parents' stories last night. I got to hear my mom and dad's story of salvation and faith and how they came to faith. Got to hear my, my in-laws, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law's testimony of faith. And my children heard these stories. And so 
partaking on this legacy of faith. So what are we as a church, as a manifestation of the presence of God, how are we communicating our legacy? God's legacy of faith here. There's a legacy of faith that we are a part of over 2,000 years in the making. And if there's one, one truth is that no matter what nations rise and fall, the church is still going to be here. No matter who sits in the, in the White House in January, our king sits on the throne over all kings, over all prime ministers, over all presidents, over all senates, over all House of, Rep- House of Representatives, over all rulers and authorities in the, in the seen and unseen realms. Our king is on the throne. And we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses of this truth. So let us, let us shift church. Let us drop every extra weight, every sin that clings to us and slackens our pace. And let us run with endurance the long race set before us. Now stay focused on Jesus who designed and perfected our faith. Anyone ever played Pac-Man? Played Pac-Man? The old pizza joint, sit down and you're playing Pac-Man, right? Pac-Man is a, is a great example of our identity in Christ. <laughs> in the world, before Christ, we were like Mr. Pac-Man, trying to accumulate and consume and consume and consume and consume and consume and just trying not, get, not to get eaten. But God, rich in his mercy, made us alive. And not only that, here's the flip. Boom! Transformed all of our enemies into this. Because our enemies are God's enemies. God's enemies are the rulers and the authorities and the unseen realms, the powers and rulers. Like I said, our our battle, our wrestling, is not with flesh and blood. It's not with the opposing political party. It's not with Bozemanites. It's not with L.A. or California. It's not with Ohioans. Our battle is with the unseen realm, the enemies of God. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, boom, he changes the powers over us that we're running away from, and he flips it, and now we're running after them. You best get out of the way, enemy, because we have power and authority. Watching paranormal activity, I'm mean like, man, y'all just need to come to Christ because you could have just spent, you know, demon, you shut up. You go back to hell. Because that is the power and authority that you have in Christ. You are a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. You are now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms with God on his throne, ruling and reigning today. This is our new reality. Any other Mario, you know, Mario nerds? Super, Super Mario? You can raise a high and proud. You can do it. Mario. This little guy, before the mushroom and before the, the flower of, with the fireballs. The little guy. Man, when you see that, that, that star, what is your first initial reaction? You're like, yeah! It's going to go down now. Come on, turtles. Come on, little mushroom men. Not mushroom? Is that the other enemy? Yeah. Come on, boss. 
Come on, dragon. Because what happens when he gets the, that star? Supercharged! Nothing can stand in his way. He touches anything, it dies. This is our new reality as saints of God. Empowered, emboldened, we conquer in Jesus' name. We are the conquering ones. We are now more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. That is who you are because God's kingdom is not of this world. God's kingdom is not of this world. We don't try to destroy people. We destroy God's enemies. God's enemies are not of this world. They're the deep-seated things in our culture. Fear. Anger. Depression. Lust. Politics. You know the, the, the origin of the word politics? You know, poly mean, meaning many, and ticks, you know, the blood-sucking in, insect. Racism and hatred. Pride. Division. Factions. Despair. He has defeated them all with the blood of his cross. They're done. Satan is choking on the blood that ran down the tree. It is poison to him. Level up. You have been leveled up in Christ Jesus. So what does all this mean? So what do we do? What does all this mean for us as we go forward? What does all this mean? If God is determined to stand with us, tell me, who could ever stand against us? Who could ever stand against the church of Jesus Christ? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold anything from anything else that he has to give. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? I want to pause here for just a second. The word accuse. Who is our great enemy? The devil. Satan. You know what the devil's name really means? Diabolos? Accuser. Who would dare to accuse us? Because when he accuses you, he, he, he deceives you. Satan means the deceiver. He accuses, you know, he deceives you and gets you to do something, and then you, you fall, you stumble, he's like, see? Look, you dirty person. God could never love you. Look at what you, look at what you did. But God never treats you that way. If you have those voices in your mind saying you are terrible, you're, you should feel shamed and guilty, tell those voices to shut up and go back to hell. Because that's where they belong. Because who could dare accuse those who God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final, let me reread that, reread that word, final, final 
verdict over you. What is it? Everyone say it together. Not guilty. He has spoken that over you for all time. Hebrews 10, 14. For he has perfected for all time those whom he has saved. Who then is left to condemn us? We are the woman who Jesus said to everyone else, all of our accusers, the heavenly realms, Satan and his followers, and they've all left. And he picks us up. He says, where are your accusers now? Good. They're not here? Go and live a new life. Stop. Stop doing the wrong thing. Because it's not who you are anymore. Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and now is risen, exalted and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. No one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions? Deprivations? Dangers? Death threats? Eh, nope. For they are, not, they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though it is written, you know, all day long we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered as to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered by the world around us. Yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors. And his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now, I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. Let me make this into evocative. Take the word I out and pray this over yourself. So now, Live with the confidence that there is nothing in this universe with the power to separate you from God's love. What would you do if you knew you couldn't lose? That is the life you should live. Empowered. Inspired. With a fire in your belly. What good is a belly if you don't have a fire in it? Let his Holy Spirit stir within you and ignite joy. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that could ever weaken his love. So there is no power above us or beneath us. No power that could be found in in all the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Level up, church. It's time to level up. It's time to level up. No matter what happens on Tuesday, we live for Wednesday and Thursday and Friday knowing that it doesn't matter what happens on Tuesday. It doesn't matter. We will live in whatever world is before us because our king is on the throne and we are seated with him. That is our kingdom. That is our country. That is our nation. That is our Allegiance. And so what do we do with this? We live our lives 
in that proclamation. And so we're going to sing a, a song. I put, I put it up on Facebook. We're going to sing a song of declaration. A song to our enemy. Because right now he's shaking in his boots. Because his church is leveling up.
Amen. That is the power that we have in this realm. And like our fifth value, be ready. The spiritual warfare starts. Because when we declare war, we're at war. So shift church, we're at war. We're at war with the captors of the people of our city. We're at war with the captors of the people of our country. For your family, your children, your co-workers, your friends, we are at war with their captors to bring life and joy and hope. And so if you're in this place, you're here this, this morning and you don't know that salvation, you've never pledged allegiance to Christ and Him alone, you've never let Him heal you completely, I want to welcome you this morning to do that. Respond to what God is calling you to do. Say, I'm all in. I'm ready to level up, God. I'm ready for you to wash away all of my sin all of my guilt, all of my shame, and give me the hope that you have promised me. I reject everything in this world and claim you as my Lord, my Savior, my God. Would you do that this morning if you haven't done that? I'll be here up front. If you want to come and you've never given your life to Christ and you want to do that this morning, Come, and I'll pray with you and rejoice. Right? If you're watching on Facebook or our church online, please write in the comments, and we'll follow up with you. Because it's time to level up, buttercup. Rise. Jesus, this morning, I pray your power, God, in your church, that you would give us the boldness to proclaim the gospel of joy and hope in our world, in our culture, in our friends, in our families, in our work, everywhere we are and everywhere we go, Lord, every step would be advancing the kingdom of God in this world. That we would experience your hope and experience your joy and experience who we are in Christ and experience you Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, and that would overflow everywhere we go, that we would be a lamp, God, that we would indeed carry the torch of the light of the world into this world, because the darkness cannot overcome it. Send us in authority. We love you, God. You are our king on your throne. And we're with you as you are with us. So be with us, God, in a powerful, powerful way. 
Jesus' name.